0: Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. All right, So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. This is part 1 of a new study that we're doing on the book of Galatians. Oh, I said that I would mention um So during the worship service, we had a a dear sisters speak out in tongues. Uh, This is a Pentecostal church, and so we believe that the Holy Spirit is still active and moving in the presence of His people. Uh, And so in in the letters, Paul talks about how the Spirit can just really overwhelm a person. Um, It's not a takeover or anything like that. They're still fully in functions of their brains and everything, but... It's just a, an exuberant praise to the Lord that comes out sometimes in another, another tongue, a, a heavenly tongue, or uh, it could be another language. So this is a totally normal part of what happens in our services. Um, nothing to be freaked out about or scared. We just take time there. We pause the music. We listen to what the Spirit has. We wait quietly because usually with the tongue there would be some English interpretation because we don't speak whatever language, you know, so um, that didn't happen this morning, which is also okay, we just wait and, and see what the Lord has to say, and um, maybe I I did communicate there afterwards, so there it there was, so um, the Spirit can use and move and work through people as He wants to, and so we're open for that in, in our church, and so if you got questions about it, feel free to ask me later, and we'll I'll chat with that, that's a fun topic, so. Uh, there's that. All right. So Galatians chapter one. We'll be in Galatians for who knows how long. I, we'll just see how it goes. Um, but Galatians, as we'll see, Galatians kept coming up as we were walking through uh, Genesis with Abraham and uh, Sarah and Hagar and things like that. So we will. Uh, it was just connected, and so I really just felt the Spirit was saying, "Let's go here, and talk about it." Jackson, can you move the whiteboard over? Uh, thank you. Just as close as you could get to the stuff here. Uh, Galatia was a region. Uh, so this was not written to an individual named Galatian, uh, nor was it written to a single city. Like uh, Philippians was written to the city of Philippi, Philemon was written to the person Philemon, Titus, Timothy, those names. This was to an entire region. Um, perhaps, so I was trying to compare. I don't know if it was like Missouri or the Midwest or maybe even America since we're such a big, um, like a nationalized in culture right now. But um, I think that's important for us to understand that this was written to a large group of people, several churches that they would write and rewrite and share this with each other, these letters. These are missionary letters. This letter um, was written to correct specific issues in the churches of the region of Galatia. And so understanding that, we'll have to uh, explore what this letter meant in its original context as Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia to see what was happening, what he was dealing with. We're really listening to one side of a phone call, so some we just don't know some things. Uh, But we try to draw out from that some eternal truths about uh, what we can apply to our lives, we're not living in first century region of Galatia. Um, the region is where we would call Turkey today. So it's kind of southern Turkey around the Mediterranean, is this region that he's talking to in his letter. But we will compare that region, what's going on, their situation, to now, to try and find some applications from the eternal truths in this letter. And so we're going to try to figure out how to not get a letter ourselves and so that's the the sermon series title is how to not get a letter if you saw that on on facebook that's what it's talking about so let's dive in to the scripture verse one paul an apostle not for men nor through man but through jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters who are with me Lord, help me as I preach this morning, help the listener as they hear this morning. God, help us all to be in tune with your spirit and what you have for us today. Lord, we give you thanks that we have this letter still so many thousands of years later. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. It is awesome. We're reading this 2,000-year-old letter today. <laughs> like that, I know there's some historians in the room who really appreciate that. Uh, 2,000 years old, and here we are. This is how we've decided to spend our morning. Um, right at the outset, Paul identifies himself and wants to make sure the, the readers of this and us know who he is. So he says, Paul, an apostle. An apostle is a special messenger or an envoy or an ambassador, somebody who has a specific mi- a mission, something to do. Originally, there were it was applied to the 12 apostles, uh, the disciples of Jesus. Uh, it does have a broader use in the New Testament for other important Christian teachers. And so Barnabas, Timothy, Silvanus, and here Paul all get identified as apostles. Uh, there is a debate going on on whether or not we can still be apostles. Again, in the Pentecostal tradition, this is a thumbs up from us, apost- apostolic apostles. Mission is still uh, one of the gifts for, uh, of the Spirit. But we have to ask here, well, if he's on a mission, if he's got this envoy thing to do, what is his job? So just to touch on him, you can mark them in your notes, but in verse 16 of chapter 1, he identifies that his mission is to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. In verse 23 of chapter 1, his mission is preaching the faith. In chapter 2, verse 7, he says, I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. So Paul's mission is to preach the good news of faith in Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That's a pretty good mission. He did this early, uh, just a few decades after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He gets to work. We'll talk about that more. He also, in verse 1, wants to make sure we understand that he is an apostle not from men nor through man. Not from men nor through man. These words are key. These are the next words out of his mouth, which raises an alert, you know, like, whoa, something's going on here. He's talking to the people. Hey, churches I'm writing to, I'm Paul the apostle, but not from man. That should give us pause, be like, well, what do they have going on in their churches? And it does seem to indicate that Paul is going to be dealing with some of the problems of um, some other teachers that are not from God. They are from man, teaching other things besides the true gospel. And so that's, uh, that's part of the thing, a distortion of the gospel. Some other people have come in, and they've got something to say, but he's saying, look, I'm from God. I am, I am not from man nor through man. And so he says that at the outset so that we get a distinction between Paul and then these troublers. And then he goes on, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So Paul, again, in identifying himself, he's saying his apostleship, his status, his title, is not something he got from any person. Rather, it came directly from God himself, from Jesus' authority, who was raised from the dead and by God who raised him. And so Paul is saying here, just at the beginning, I teach true gospel because I'm sent by Jesus. Whatever these other people are teaching you is not from God. It is from them or some other people. This is the problem. He hits it right at the beginning. This is unusual for Paul's letters. He usually gives a little more niceties at the beginning. He's a little politer. But here he just starts poking them right at the beginning. He is perhaps upset, seems upset. He's, He's pretty fired up in this one pretty straightforward. In verse 11, we're actually going to skip down to uh, verse 11. We'll come back to the other parts uh, later. But he he once again, here he comes back to who he is. He says, um, in verse four, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So this, again, is the origins of who he is. It's not his it gospel. It's not man's gospel, for he didn't receive it from any man. He didn't get taught this gospel. He is, once again, de-emphasizing the role that people played in his receiving this gospel message. And we don't, like, he hasn't even said the gospel message yet. He's just establishing himself as a teacher. And I would say at this point, like, now in our own time in Christian history, it would be actually kind of, it would be uh, problematic if I were to get up here and say, like, I did not receive this gospel from any person, uh, even after I grew up in church and went to school and learned. The gospel, it would be a weird thing, like almost a red flag for us today because it's like, well, where did you get the gospel then? You know, it would be a red flag. But for Paul, um, for Paul he's not saying he didn't learn. He was very intelligent, schooled in both Hebrew and Greek thought, but at his point in Christian history, there was very little to actually draw on for scripture or uh, things like that. There was no New Testament when Paul was writing this letter. I think we've got to pause for a second. We are so used to having this. Some of you have thousands of Bibles, okay? And we're so used to having one of these, and you've got thousands on your phone, access to languages you can't even understand. Um, But he had no New Testament. In fact, scholars believe this is one of the very first letters that we have record of in the New Testament. So written perhaps about 48 A.D., which would put it about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So it is early. The only other earlier one that I've known about would be the book of James, which people scholars think was written about 40 A.D., about eight years earlier than this one. Possible other letters existed, but the Holy Spirit did not think it necessary to keep those around for us. So that's Paul is writing this, from a time where he couldn't just go to the Gospels, you know, I mean, what did Luke say? He hasn't even met Luke yet at this point. He will, uh, the book of James, he actually will meet James, he'll tell us that in the scriptures to come. He meets James, he goes on this little two-week vacation to Jerusalem where he meets with Peter and James. Wow, what a Bible study that would have been for Paul and Peter and James. Like, hey, tell us the stories, let's get this down, write on some parchment. You know, we have no record of their discussion. The Holy Spirit did not think it necessary for us to have that either. But that might be one of those things, like on your list of things in heaven, what do they talk about? And Paul had the additional trouble of not actually being a disciple of Jesus when Jesus was on the planet physically. He was not hanging out with Jesus when he was teaching or performing miracles So any of the stories that he heard, Paul initially was an enemy. We'll read that in the next verse. So any of the stories that Paul heard about the gospel would have come through the lens of a Pharisee trying to persecute and kill Christians. That's his understanding of what's going on. So it would have been very distorted himself. And so let's read verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, the church. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, uh, many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. This was Paul at the beginning. Now, I, I thought about this on a, like a pastor's resume. Like, I once persecuted the church violently. That would be a red flag. Um, especially like, did you stop? You know, that would be the question, the key question. And then I stopped, and now I'm a pastor. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, tell us your story. Uh, But there would be, you can imagine, a few questions about his past. And he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own people, his own age, and he was super pumped. He was extremely zealous, super pumped about the traditions of my fathers. If this was merely political terms, we might call this nationalism. If it's Strictly religious terms, this would be some kind of fundamental extremism on the part of Paul here. If it was just racial terms because he was Jewish, this would be ethnocentrism. Or we might call it racism. But he points out that all of these things are bad things. He is not proud of his past, he is just citing it, and then he moves on. Because he says in verse 12, again, I did not, or he's not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any, nor was I taught it. So the question we have to ask then is, well, where did he get it from? So, and he's answered it. I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. That would be the twelve. But I went away into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. This is a, a conversion story. We'll read a bit more in just a second, but just to pause there. This is Paul telling his story of how he stopped being a persecutor of the church and started becoming the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. That's a pretty big switch from like the bad to the good uh, here. And so he tells his story in this case. You can look up and read three accounts in Luke's account in Acts, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Luke tells that account three different times. Here Paul tells it in his own words. So let's keep reading. I left off in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit uh, Cephas, that is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. This is the little vacation. But I saw none other, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he said, he wants to make this clear. In what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. So he's like, this is really, really important. I'm not making this up, people of Galatia. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, uh, fun fact: the capital city of Cilicia. This is not trivia. We might wind up on a trivia, but the capital city of that is Tarsus. So he just makes this little mention that he went home. He went home to his home city of Tarsus here, and I was still unknown in persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They still thought Paul was out, like uh, putting persecuting the church. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So like the rumors were spreading among the churches, like Paul's not trying to kill us anymore. Paul's not trying to persecute us anymore. I heard that he's actually preaching the gospel. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, chapter 2, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. 14 years. It's actually a 17. He was three years in Arabia. We have no idea what he was doing. I have I a thought, but we don't, it didn't tell us. And then 14 years he goes to Jerusalem again. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul, in his time away, was preparing. 17 years. He had the call of God on his life, his conversion experience. Three years, he goes to Arabia. 14 years, he goes back home to Tarsus and Cilicia. And in that time, he was preparing. After he was done, he went and he took. He's like, hey, guys, make sure that I'm not totally crazy. Make sure I haven't been running in vain. And he gets his gospel message together. There are three parts to his conversion. It's not steps necessarily, but these are really helpful for us. First of all, this is in verse 15. That he was set apart before he was born. God had a a special plan for Paul. More generally speaking, Paul talks like this to the church in Ephesus. He says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Paul identifies his own, in his own self, he was separated from, or separated to God. He was set apart before he was born. God had a plan for his life, and though he ran from it for a while, he got knocked off his horse and got back to his plan. He was set apart before he was born. And then he was called and who called me by his grace. It was clear at that moment that Paul had done nothing to deserve the grace of God. He was actively trying to end the, the mission of Jesus, end the church of Jesus. He was doing the best of anyone in this event, trying to stop the church of Jesus. And that's who Jesus called and said, you're going to be my guide. So in this case, he was called by God's grace, not by anything Paul had done, but by God's grace. It doesn't matter how bad what you've done. Like, there's nothing worse to God's plan than what Paul was doing. God still called him. God still called him. And the third part is that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Reveal here is the same Greek word as the word revelation. Apocalypto is a revelation. It means to uncover what has been covered up has nothing to do with zombies or nuclear bombs. Sorry. The apocalypse is not zombie apocalypse or snow snowpocalypses or anything else. An apocalypse is simply a revelation, a new understanding of the world. So this for Paul is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This was Paul's apocalypse. And think about it in terms of this. His world that he knew came to an end that day on the road to Damascus. An old man died right there on the road to Damascus, and a new man was born again. He died to his flesh, and his spirit was made alive. This is an apocalypse. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The way of the dragon in Paul, the violence, the ethnocentrism, the nationalism, the the extremism in Paul died that day. The way of the dragon and the way of the lamb was born in his life. This is a huge... Turn for him, and it is possible for all of us today as well. And so, a reminder, this is not a one-day thing. I think sometimes too often in the church today, maybe this is like, how to not get a letter, part one. It actually is, I'm going to write it on the board. Um, this was not a one-day conversion for him. The whole experience took several days. He had to, like, blind walk over to Ananias' house who taught him and helped him and fed him and taught him. And then he had a 14-year experience where he went with him and the Holy Spirit. He was in obscurity. He had the Old Testament Scriptures. He had the Holy Spirit. And he was learning. And he was daily converted to Jesus. Conversion is just to mean to change. So it was like, well, how to not get a letter? Be converted to Jesus daily. We want to be converted to Jesus daily. Because the problem is if we don't daily convert to Jesus, it's like, Sean, do I have to like give my heart to Jesus every single day? Yes. What have you been doing? Whose heart have you been giving it to? Right? It's like the question, we're going to be converted. We're going to be changed by something. Let's be changed by God. Let's be changed by God. About walking with the Holy Spirit. This is what we do. He does it in obscurity. So like some subnotes under that, uh, solitude with Jesus. Verse 17, if we look at it, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away. I went away. Sometimes you've got to get away from it all. You've got to get away from the noise of this world, the culture, the family, the kids, the job, The social media, the TV networks, you've got to get away from it all in some solitude with Jesus and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You can't hear it in all the noise. And then in verse 18, after he got away, he went to visit some leaders. Uh, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and James. Now we can't visit peter and james they are dead long dead like two thousand years dead but you can't go to them so but we can go and we can learn it's why we come to hear teaching you can visit leaders you can hear a sermon you can go to small group and hear teaching you can get a podcast got lots of uh, good choices for you on that if you want but um but that's we'll get into that a little later ahead of myself and then, so we got to ask ourselves he's being converted to jesus but for what purpose Verse 16 again, in order that I might preach him. Paul was called to preach among the Gentiles. Me too. You're all Gentiles. I don't know if anybody in here is Jewish, but hey, welcome. We welcome everybody. So if you are, welcome. Um, But we're all Gentiles. We're all Gentiles. So this isn't exactly like a contextual thing for us. Like I've been called John, I've been called to preach to Gentiles. I'm like, great, just talk to somebody. We're all Gentiles. That's easy now. Uh, Paul paved the road. It's really smooth. A Gentile is just an outsider from the Jewish culture, though. So you might be called to preach to an outsider and someone from a different culture. And really, if they're not a Christian, then it's a different culture. The culture we identify as Christians is Jesus' culture. That's the culture that we have. So we are different. We should look different from the non-Jesus culture. We don't because we're going to get a letter, but we need to so we don't get a letter. We should look different. So we'll talk about that. That's the next point. So this point here, I need to smooth this path out. I'm going to trip. Is preach Jesus. Don't preach nothing else. If you start preaching something else, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to get a letter. But we don't want a letter. Preach Jesus. The problem is, as I see it, we don't. We don't do this. We don't do these things. We're not very good at it. Again, maybe not you individually, but if we're thinking like Galatia sort of regionally, uh, the Midwest or America, we're not doing a good job. Just. But the question is always, well, why not? What's wrong? Paul had his own problems with the gospel at the beginning. One, he didn't believe it at the beginning. So he actually actively tried to stop it from being uh, from being spread because he didn't believe it. So problem number one is you might not believe the gospel. And again, if you're in church and don't believe the gospel, great, you're actually in the right place. And we welcome you and we are happy to talk with you uh, about what's going on, the things that are holding you back. Um, that does not frighten me. If you don't believe the gospel and you're in church, great let's have a conversation so and and keep coming if that's you this morning some of us though are in church and we think we believe the gospel but we don't this is where now everybody loosen up okay it's gonna get real for a second here but that's okay i'm not preaching what you want to hear sorry i don't know what church does that but they need to stop i gotta preach what's here so We come to church, we think we believe it, but we don't just believe something because we say we believe it. Saying you believe something is not evidence that you believe it. This is where it gets real. Okay, so we don't just believe something because we believe it. So, Sean, question, Mr. Mines. We don't just believe something because we believe it. So, I, I don't know how to explain that one, but this will be the explanation. When we truly believe something, we behave it. When we truly believe something, we behave it. Especially when the thing you believe is called the way of Jesus. The lifestyle of Jesus. If you believe that, then you're going to behave Jesus. We're not just going to preach him and then be a bunch of jerks on the side. We're going to behave If you want to put like in there, you can, but I'm not going to. We have to behave Jesus. Don't just, I mean, be like Jesus. If you need to fake it till you make it, please do. If you're not going to, if you're not going to behave like Jesus, please stop telling people you're a Christian. That's giving the rest of us trying to do our best a bad reputation. Nobody's perfect. So if you're a jerk to somebody, and you're rude, and you're not loving, and you just say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, can you please tell them, hey, can, I'm, but I'm not a Christian. Uh, if you're going to say you're a Christian, will you just please apologize to them at some point and say, I'm sorry that I was a jerk and rude to you. I love you because that's what Jesus would do. Don't, don't add in that sassy thing where you're like, because Jesus told me to. You know, like none of that stuff. Come on now. We've got to behave, Jesus. Paul believed Paul believed what he called the traditions of his father more. This is another another problem here. He believed what he calls the traditions of his father more. We would just call that culture. He believed Jewish culture, Jewish traditions more. Our culture tells us we need money to be happy. Jesus' culture says you need a community of believers to be happy. Our culture tells us you need to look a certain way. Our Jesus culture would say you're created in God's image. Uh, Our culture would say you need to vote a certain way. And Jesus culture would say love your neighbor regardless. Our culture, religion has become a personal, private experience. And we become susceptible to this too. It's just not the thing we go around telling people about. There's other cultural things we're way more comfortable doing. Uh, You know, the sports, politics we're super happy sharing our cultural love for those things or hatred of enemies for those but when it comes to jesus we get a little shy like i'm not sure if i should tell people about it you know because the culture has seeped into who we are and our understanding of ourselves by besides we live in our midwestern culture which is so laid back to each their own live and let live you know pull your own self up by your own bootstraps this is kind of the midwestern culture the, our saving grace and our culture is like, hard work will save you. Well, it could also kill you, but that's like Midwest, like we work hard, you know, like oh, get a job and stuff. This is what we do, but it's just culture, and, and we believe the ways of culture more than we believe the ways of Jesus. So, problem number two, we believe culture more. Problem number three, why we don't preach the gospel, we don't know the gospel very well. So we're actually uncomfortable sharing our faith because we're just not that comfortable knowing our faith. And so my encouragement here would be like, you don't have to be an expert. There was the woman at the well who went, come and see. That was all she said. That was her, the first missionary testimony was, come and see. Like, I don't even know what happened. You could ask. I don't know. Just come and see. That's the level, like level one missionary work if you want to do it. Just come and see. I don't know what's going on, but it's awesome. And then Fourthly, Paul was extremely zealous, which means he was way too excited about the wrong gospel. Uh, we might call this a tryhard. That's what the teenagers are saying. You're just a tryhard. I think maybe brown noser or something like that. But he took his, his Jewish, he took his patriotism way too seriously. He was like, if you don't love it, leave it. You remember that song, Merle Haggard? Uh, I think saying, if you don't love it, leave it. But for Jewish culture, it was like, because it will kill you. All right that's like extreme like he's taking that a little far there paul like oh. but uh jesus gets to him he was very very zealous in his work uh though he was wrong uh and he was raiding churches and like just going on these adventures to capture people and it was he needed to stop and this can actually be our problem too and and it's related to one of the earlier ones but we just aren't that excited about the good news we just aren't that excited about it anymore. Maybe we were at the beginning. And we were like, oh, it's just fun. You know, Jesus is awesome. Jesus saved me from a life of despair. And then just life gets back to you, and you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, I love you, Jesus, and we'll sing and hold our arms and, you know, maybe come. But we're just not that excited anymore. As a Pentecostal, I think that part of this comes down to, like, Holy Spirit empowerment. I think that's spirit. Uh, does energize us. The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. Nothing's lacking a bit. We need some Holy Spirit infusion into our lives. Lost that excitement of a new believer. We've become beat down by a world full of chaotic badness. We've tried maybe and we've failed so many times. We're just done asking people and talking to people. Or we've just slipped into a constant state of semi-sadness permafrost of pessimism, a routine of mundane melancholy. That's our daily life. We've lost our energy. I've got good news for you as I wrap this up. The worship team could come in a minute. You guys get ready to come. But here's the thing. There is good news. The gospel is exciting. Jesus, who existed from all of time, stepped down into this old world of chaotic badness and experienced our melancholy semi-sadness. He lived a sinless life as an example to all of us, and he got killed for his trouble. But death couldn't keep the Son of Man in the grave, and on the third day he rose again, appearing to hundreds before he left. As he ascended into heaven, he took his proper place, as this King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he gave us his Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us until the day when he returns and sets everything back to right again. And he takes away all the pain, all the suffering, and all the tears of this old world. And if that's not enough, I'm going to read what I wrote down here. If that's not enough to get you excited, I don't know what is. There is a way out of all of this mess. There is a way out of all of this mess. There is a way out of all this mess. I'm going to read what it has here. Can someone give me a shout of praise this morning? Four exclamation points. In parentheses, I wrote, if they don't, then encourage them. but also point out that I was right. We have got to the point where we are just not excited about it anymore. We're so used to coming to church. We're so used to hearing about it. Tell us another story, Sean. Oh, I will. But we just fall into the same ruts over and over and over again. And life gets to us. And sometimes we need to say, like, And just be honest. Like, Sean, I think it's weird to shout in church. Okay, fine. I get it. But if we're not willing to be excited about the single most excited thing, exciting thing, because if you were to go to a football game, I hear there's one on tonight from some team. I don't know, Chiefs Kingdom or something. I, and like, think about what we're saying there. Chiefs Kingdom. I don't, like, I don't care. What about God's kingdom, I know like, oh, Sean, you're being too spiritual. We, we gotta get home and get the pregame show, we get the barbecue. It's already past 12. We get into these ruts where our cultural experience becomes the most important thing for us, and then just church and God become the thing that we do. We become cultural Christians, because we're Americans and we're a, a Christian nation, whatever that means. And we get stuck in these ruts of like, well, I'm a Christian because, well, why are you a Christian? Because I'm not some other religion. Well, to be a Christian, we've got some things to do so that we don't get a letter. Converted to Jesus every day. Preach Jesus with our words and behave Jesus with our actions. This is what we, thank you thank you. We've got to do this. The world needs to see it. We don't have to live just pressed down by this hectic, chaotic world of crazy badness all the time. We, as Christians, rise above that. Yes, we still live in the world, but how can we be joyful when everything is going wrong around us you're in the middle of a tough conversation with a, with a student or a parent or a co-worker and it's, or a family member, and you're in the middle of this tough conversation, and it's hard and it's real. How can you still have joy? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, I'm not happy in those moments when it's hard. I'm not happy. I don't feel good. It's hard. But the joy of the Lord is my strength in the moment. I don't rely just on myself anymore i don't have to solve the world's problems i'm just one of the problems of the world but i'm saved by grace how can i help you how can i help you we're to be set apart like paul set apart called by his grace because god was pleased to reveal jesus his son to us all we are set apart but sometimes we run like jonah Jesus calls us back to him through his Holy Spirit, and he is pleased to reveal His Son to us every single day that we might know him and in him we'll have true freedom, we'll experience true love, and we can have we can escape this reality as much as it could be escaped through a new way to be human that we love our neighbors, we don't need to defeat them anymore, we don't need to outsmart them anymore. We just need to love them. And when we have a revelation of who Jesus really is, then we will have no trouble abandoning the things of this world. There's that song, and if worship team, you all want to come up, we can sing this. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we look full into His wonderful face, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We must be converted each day into being more like Jesus. Otherwise, we'd just be stuck as baby Christians all the time. We've got to get away from the world, silence, solitude, prayer. We've got to learn Jesus, read the Bible, read books about the Bible, listen to solid Bible teachings. Get into community with believers, sermons like Sunday morning, big church and all the small church we do in small groups and Sunday schools. We've got to get into community with believers so that when we truly believe something, we will behave that thing. Stop believing culture. And I don't care if it is progressive culture. We're going to get into this some more. I don't care if it is conservative culture. If it's not Jesus' culture, then stop believing it. Stop behaving culturally. Follow the way of Jesus. Follow the way of Jesus. We are all called to preach him. Whatever you're learning about in those groups, tell somebody about it. Preferably if they don't know anything about Jesus. Tell people that you're trying to follow the way of Jesus, especially when you mess up. Please, I'm just trying I'm sorry I was so frustrated. I'm sorry I messed up. I'm sorry I called your names. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed and I need help. I need love and I'm sorry I did that to you because I love you and I respect you. Even though you're, we don't get along, I just i am sorry. Tell people that you're trying to follow the way of Jesus. So this morning as we sing this, we're going to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I just want you to do that. But this isn't, again, just a one-day thing. This is what we're going to do from here on out, to turn to Jesus. Keep our eyes focused on Him. The waves come crashing in, and we don't have to sink. We just keep our eyes focused on who Jesus is. And if you want to find a place to pray this morning, do that. Where you are, you can stand and sing. You can kneel and pray. This is your moment, your time with God. And let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. If you were convicted this morning about something, know that I love you. And I wouldn't tell you any of this stuff if I didn't. If I didn't love you, I'd be like, hey, everything's great, and you're going to heaven. I mean, things are great, you are going to heaven, but like we could do better. It's like you're perfect just the way you are. That's what culture tells us. You're perfect because God made you perfect. But sin has marred the perfection and we have to go to the we have to go to the potter to get reshaped and reformed We have to get cleaned up.